We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we are talking about a Nets domination in Game Two. They won 125-86 over the Bucks, taking a 2-0 lead in the series. How are we feeling, Jack? Wow, wow, wow! It was insane. I was lucky enough to be at this game, and I mean, I couldn't have imagined a better outcome for Brooklyn. They started this game with just like dominance, and then continue it throughout. We're gonna jump into that and plenty more, but. As always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do we begin? Nick, where well, was the biggest pop throughout the night? Because there was about 18 billion highlights, half of them uh, probably against Giannis, to be fair, as well. What was the biggest pop of the evening at Barclays? Yeah, I think the first pop was you had Blake with that putback dunk, two-hand slam, and then the possession after you had Katie's hat crossing up Giannis and shooting in his face. And it was just like... You know, we had some big plays in game one, but I don't think anything was kind of that back-to-back scenario. And that back-to-back was just like a huge momentum swing. Barclays was going nuts, especially early in the game. And then later on, you had, you know, Blake Griffin throw one down on Giannis. And, you know, that was, you know, one of the loudest times I've ever heard Barclays Center. It was just really, really incredible. Crowd was great. It was honestly like an electric crowd from the start. I literally walked in just due to traffic and travel, like uh, right before tip-off. And even then, like you could just feel the vibe in the arena. It was just really, really popping tonight. I mean, I was popping down here in Melbourne as well in my living room because, dear (laughs) Lord, what a night this was because highlights are plenty. You know, it's going to – I honestly can't remember there were that many freaking highlights. And Kevin Durant doing his thing, he had an absolutely masterful evening. If if people don't think he's the best player in the world, then you need to watch this game of basketball because it was pretty goddamn evident of that. And, you know, Jared Greenberg, may ask some better questions in the postgame. Please, if you're going to speak to the the king, the Slim Reaper himself, you know, have actually some better questions to uh, to ask uh, King King Durant. But uh, absolutely masterful performance across the board. The starters, Blake has been revived. You know, I put out that tweet maybe once every couple of weeks of the, you know, the coming back to life. Yeah, 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 I can't really actually do it. (laughs) But it's a great song and Blake Griffin has certainly brought life to this team. Despite the fact that, you know, he didn't have 14 and 16, 16 and 14 tonight. Um, He's brought his game and then some. And I think that one thing he's probably not going to get a heap of credit for, Nick, is that defense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think in person you see the physicality in which he brings to Giannis. And really, he's not just taking contact from Giannis. He's giving contact to Giannis. And he's really disrupting some of the things he's doing. Obviously, Antetokounmpo is one of the best players in the league. But Blake's done an extremely good job on him. Like, I was really impressed. And like you said, you know, maybe not as popping offensively, but the Nets really didn't need it. And I thought the Bucks also made some slight adjustments on Blake. You saw Giannis on him a little bit more in this game than probably than what we saw in game one. So credit to him, credit to the energy in which he brought. And he only had eight boards, but only 25 minutes in this one because the Nets didn't have to play any of the rotation guys in the fourth quarter, which is insane in round two. Yeah, in round one, you see those type of blowouts sometimes. But this is round two of a series that's supposed to determine who's going to win the NBA championship. And the Nets are missing arguably their most impact player in James Harden and they still came out with a ridiculous performance. Yeah, I'm going to temper the hype a little bit. I'm going to you know, go with what Katie was saying. We did what we needed to do. We, talk, yeah. <laughs> we did what we needed to do at home 2-0, heading to Milwaukee and, and now's when the season starts. Now's when the series starts, you know. Unless you win one away, you know, the series hasn't officially started yet. So we'll see how they go um, when they do head to Milwaukee. But one thing I wanted to ask you about is that Giannis, the Greek freak as well, Nick, you know, Costas onto the compo uh, with some biceps. Um, how long did it take for him to shoot the goddamn free throws? Yeah, I mean, you heard the crowd counting it down. There was one time where the crowd had it to 15 seconds. 15 seconds. Yeah, it was a little rushed, but at that point in time, it's like, okay. I think the biggest difference in not getting the call in this series is the Nets haven't really complained about it, where Miami was very adamant. You know, I think it was Karam Butler on the bench, you know, consistently yelling at the refs. And to be honest, it doesn't really matter because the longer he takes, it feels like the more likely he is to miss. You know, two of seven from the free throw line in this game, and I think it's starting to impact him a little bit. Yeah, meanwhile, the Nets are shooting at 90% across the series in their free throws. 50-40-90 is something. It's truly insane. Um, and, then, and one thing I will also say, it does take me less time to cook my slow-cooked pulled pork than it does for Yas to hit one of his goddamn freaking free throws. My dude, please. And it was, there was all the off-season talk about him, you know, practicing his free throws, having to, like, you know, his his girlfriend, his partner, having to, like, run, oh. su- run suicides every time he misses a free throw. Um, his wife would be dead right now if the, <laughs> the, way, the, the way that he is shooting and his child would be as well because he's shooting like goddamn trash but he's still impacting the game in a big way you know his physicality is making the nets yep. do some things but i think the one thing that they are doing well doing well is taking everyone else out of it it's just yeah. like the game plan i think is just like let's take out middleton because he, this is the jump shooter that we want that we know can give them life three-point shots mid-range shots and you know the way that the physicality you sort of alluded to that blake is showing you know joe's showing it on middleton yep. Uh, Bruce is showing it on Middleton. You know they're making life tough for him. You know he had a decent little run in the in the third quarter, but it wasn't enough. And the Nets still outscored them thirty to twenty four. They scored thirty points basically in every single quarter except for the second, where it was twenty nine to twenty two. So I think that the Nets' defensive strategy and the coaching that again uh, we talked about with Steve Nash and Mike Budenholzer would have an advantage in that has not been the case whatsoever. Yeah, Steve Nash has been killing it, pushing all the right buttons including the change today with Bruce Brown being the starting lineup. But getting back to the Bucs and their offense and what the Nets are doing, it felt like in this game the Nets did a really good job of sending extra attention when there was a mismatch in the paint or somebody did get a step or just poking their hands in there and making the Bucs feel really uncomfortable. And I think it kind of points out a flaw of the Bucs that – we probably didn't talk about enough in the regular season or maybe even last year in the postseason is they truly lack a playmaker. They lack a true point guard and somebody who can kind of set things up. You know, they have Drew, who's more of a combo guard. Chris Middleton's more of a scorer. Giannis is not really at that point in his career. And it's really 
just feels like they get into iso ball, they get into these sets, and it's somewhat predictable for the Nets, and they're able to kind of take advantage. And it felt like tonight they were able to cause more turnovers by sending some of that extra attention, and that was leaning to some extra, you know, transition buckets or just some more offensive possessions, which are huge. Absolutely massive, Nick. And 16 turnovers for the Milwaukee Bucks compared to the Brooklyn Nets 9. That's got 23 points off those turnovers, which is uh, an absurd number. And it felt like a lot of those turnovers were forced. Yep, absolutely. I I think the Nets, look, um, I think Jackson Frank put this out. The defensive rating in game one for the Brooklyn Nets, 100. The defensive rating in game two, 93.5. The narrative, I think, is slowly dwindling. And for all the Nets haters out there, I'm not sure what the talk shows are going to be out about going forward, about trying to throw some slides at this Brooklyn Nets team. But I think that there's just great team defense uh, all around. You know, Kevin Durant said in his post-game press to the fact, the fact that they're not getting offensive rebounds either, only 11-9, to 9, and they only lost the rebounding battle by two. It was essentially those two offensive rebounds. Defensive rebounds all, all tied up at 33 apiece. The Nets made a lot more shots. <laughs> they made... Uh, they made plenty of those shots, Nick. Yeah. As I said, 50-40-90 across the entire playoffs. They had 52-50-85. Ah, oh, that's bullshit. But they didn't get to the free throw line barely. And I think an even bigger thing is that the Bucks barely did either. Yeah. No, I agree, Jack. That was a huge factor in the game. And I also think just looking at the three-point attempts, the fact that they were able to generate 42 three-point attempts, not every single one was open, but it felt like a majority of them were. So they were kind of just doing their thing against this Bucks defense. You know, I feel like they're taking advantage of some of the over-aggressions of a Giannis, of a Drew Holiday, like guys who like to make plays off ball. The Nets are capitalizing on some of those guys because they're getting out of position, and the Nets players are constantly moving the ball and moving themselves to those open spots. Kevin Rand, 4 of 6. Blake Griffin, 1 of 2. Joe Harris, 3 of 7. Bruce Brown hit 1, 1 of 2. Kyrie Irving, 4 of 8. Reggie Perry, 3 points <laughs> marks, 2 of 3. 2 of 4 for Mike James as well. And 3 of 5 for Landry Shamit. Checking in 1 for TLC as well. Cannot forget the, the French mastermind as well. Uh, but yeah, the, the 3 point shooting, Nick, we, we sort of talked about it on the last one. You know, the Bucks are surely going to shoot better. But, um, we didn't expect the Nets to shoot this well. And they only went 8 of 27 themselves, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think that the Nets. Again, did a really good, a really good job of making it tough for them. You know, contesting yep. those three point shots, and they were contesting everything. It just seemed to me that you know Bruce Brown, obviously his energy, his chaotic energy in a really positive way, adds something to the team. When you put Clax out there, I saw Clax talking like it was no one else's business. <laughs> Kevin Durant is playing some of the best defense of his career, and I think that that's probably one thing that he deserves even more credit for than the. In- in- inordinate amount of shot making that he does on a he nightly He blocked back. a Brook Lopez hook shot. Like, yeah. that's incredibly difficult to do. And it was just like, wow. Like, uh, I was talking, I was with, at the game with Will Jackson and we were just like kind of talking and just like, it showcases not only how good he is defensively from a physical perspective, but mentally. He studies the game and he understands like, oh, this guy's going to try to go right shoulder in this situation. Let me get a step on that. And then gets the block. I mean, it's just... Really, really crazy to watch. And him battling with Brooke Lopez, like, he deserves a lot of credit. Like, Brooke's a solid player, and KD's holding his own, and obviously he's been switched on the Giannis, done a nice job contesting Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, whatever it is. KD's having a huge impact on both sides of the ball. Absolutely incredible game for Kevin Durant. 12-18 from the field, 4-6 from 3, 4-5 from the free throw line, 32 points, 6 assists, 4 boards. You know, it doesn't matter if you've got P.J. Tucker on him, Drew Holiday on him. He's going to create a shot, and he's not going to be the one... Uh, the, the defense isn't going to be the one stopping him from hitting a shot. It's going to be him missing. And he only yeah. missed six of them tonight. And 
he is the best player in basketball, Nick, after every single game. You know, uh, there was a debate with Kawhi. And look, I'll give a little bit of love to Kawhi because, you know, that game was pretty big from him. But, you know, my subjective bias is going to come in here because Kevin Durant's rim protection, the importance that he's placed on him, possession after possession, you know, once he hits a like a tough bucket where he's forced to be, you know, push through Drew Holiday, push through a PJ Tucker. And then on the other end, he's got to try and guard that rim and, and help defense and switch and, and communicate on the back line. There is so much that is asked of him, and he does he does it all, and he does it at a completely elite level that few players in the game, in the history of the game, have ever done. Yeah, I mean, if this is a close game, Kevin Durant might score 40, might score even 50. You know, I, I was talking to Corey before the game, and I was like, you know, this is the first time I've seen KD since OKC. I was trying to manifest a masterpiece from him, and that's what we got here. So it was really incredible to watch, and like you said, P.J. Tucker – Looked terrible this game. You know, he, he had better defense, but I think the officiating played a little bit of an impact. Two early uh, foul calls on P.J. Tucker in this one, and I feel like that, you know, kind of prevented him from playing that physical level. Katie got loose a little bit. I also think Katie got more touches at the top of the key, past the three-point line, a little bit more space against P.J. Tucker. And like you said, too, Jack, he wasn't just attacking him, though. Drew Holiday got put through the blender a little bit. He took Giannis on a couple times, and uh, just some of those plays on Giannis are incredible. Like, Giannis is one of the best athletes in the NBA and Kevin Durant coming off a torn Achilles blew past him like what that is insane there is look Mike James was cooking we answered to the combo like please Nick don't even <laughs> Kevin Durant's going to do it to anyone in the league let alone you know Greek Costa Kufos um, but in, <laughs> in, in all honesty you know Kevin Durant did what Kevin Durant does it's, it's as simple as that and you know the the mentality that he has brought to this team you know the leadership and it just seems to me that this team isn't settling. This team is like yeah. a, it's just like ruthless, absolutely ruthless. Foot on the throat, <laughs> just foot on the throat, and just letting it go there until you're choking them out. You know, unlike Floyd Mayweather and whatever the Paul brother was last night. <laughs> uh, but, in, but in all honesty, you know, Kyrie Irving as well. The, the the personality of this team from the the two leaders, the two best players, is reverberating across the board. Board. There's a joy that is being played with. Yep. There is an intensity that's just like I'm not going to let KD down. I'm not going to let Kai down. Joe Harris is doing that. Blake Griffin is doing that. Bruce Brown is doing that. Landry Shamit showing the level of confidence from three, which I thought was really important. And Clax is going out there and being like, you know what? I'm going to make sure I get KD open here. I'm going to make these defensive plays. I'm going to fight on the boards. And Mike James is just doing Mike James things. And uh, I hope that yep. apology is written in all caps, Nick, in black pen. We actually shook hands, discussed it. We're good. <laughs> good to hear you and MJ are on good terms. NF and M and MJ. That's a very positive thing to hear. Uh, you know, the apology has been written and has been signed and rescinded and you know Mike James also said that Steve Nash should have been hired in coach of the year the, the way that this team has been constructed and the chemistry that has been built you know so quickly you know KD sort of said when he was asked by Jared Greenberg you know you know the the newness of this team is that still an issue is that not an issue anymore it's like no like we're still incredibly new together we haven't done anything um, yeah. there is a, a desire to to do great things and you know, we were thinking that we'd have to do an emergency pod with James Harden. Thankfully, you know, it's just tightness for him. There's rumors that Jeff Green could be back in game three or game four. Man, the, this Brooklyn Nets team is chugging along, you know, pretty goddamn nicely. Yeah, Jack, you mentioned taking on the characteristics of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It also feels like they're taking on some of the characteristics of Steve Nash and even the style of basketball in which Steve Nash played as a player. And he talked about a little bit in the press conference of the philosophies in which they have, you know, quick decisions, passing the ball, playing with pace, getting those open shots, being aggressive. And you just feel it with everybody in the team. And like you said, there's just a real 
team synergy and guys know what they're doing. And it's just like a full team attack. And as much as it's driven by Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, everybody is playing a role in making this happen. If you love listening to the Brooklyn Buzz, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord, e-learning courses full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is you get it all for $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listen, talk to us about your favorite team, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance in the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in the episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com join. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the, the assist numbers, Nick, without James Harden, 27 again tonight. You had six from KD. You had four from Bruce Brown. You had six from Kyrie Irving. You had three from Mike James. Um, it, it's just one of those nights where the team basketball is continuing to show off. And, you know, Milwaukee, certainly their depth of their roster you know, was probably a strength of theirs throughout the regular season. But it's been pretty shallow in, in the postseason against uh, in this second round against the Brooklyn Nets. Whereas, you know, you've got the role players for Brooklyn stepping up because there's just a, an innate ability to go, OK, I know what my role is. I'm buying yep. in here. And, you know, probably a, a lot of credit in, in that sense goes to Steve Nash, goes to Sean Marks, goes to Cameron and Kyrie Irving being like, we give these guys the freedom to do what they do, to showcase their skills, uh, and we know how they're going to succeed. Do your thing. Well, we trust you. And you know, and Kyrie Irving was sort of saying, you know, that he loves the individual talent on this team, but he also loves how selfless they are. And yeah. I think that that's one thing you probably wouldn't have said about Kyrie Irving in seasons past. And, you know, he said himself that he's had to grow up you know, over the years across his his game and the way he's he's playing. Uh, we sort of talked about James Harden playing complete basketball, Nick, you know, in, in the version that he's playing uh, yep. in Brooklyn. I think Kyrie Irving's doing pretty goddamn similar. Yeah, he really is. I mean, he's having an impact on the game in a lot of different areas. You mentioned the six assists, obviously efficient scoring and defensively continuing to apply pressure to the Bucks. So, you know, another nice night for Kyrie Irving, 22 points, 9 of 17 from the field, 4 of 8 from 3. Five, uh, five rebounds, six assists, one steal. You know, you just really love that. And 
the Nets haven't even needed one of those vintage Kyrie games yet. You know they're coming. You know, one's coming in this series. That's just a fact. That's just kind of how it works. And he hasn't even had need to have one of those yet. So I'm really happy with the way that Kevin Durant's playing, Kyrie's playing, and how the team is playing around them, and also how they're playing off of them and playing for them to an extent. You know, kind of moving forward to your guy, Joe Harris, who I was really impressed with just seeing in person. I you know saw some highlights and some tapes, listened to some podcasts, and I'm talking about the off-ball impact in which Joe has and the screening in which he does on you know the opposing team and how that opens things up. And sometimes it's not even a screen on-ball. It's a screen off-ball that you're never going to see unless you're really locked in or watching film over again. And I think Joe's just finding ways to impact the game on a different level that you just can't do in the regular season because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter as much. But in the postseason, he's finding a way to be one of those winning players, one of those really elite role players. And, you know, what is it? Instead of an 82-game player, he's turning into a 16-game player. He certainly is. And and I think in in that respect as well, Nick, I I think people were making comparison points between like Duncan Robertson and Joe Harris. Joe Harris's level of physicality and desire to be physical, he likes He was on Brooke Lopez for minutes in this game. Like a minute. He he looked good in the post. Like he he was just like, you know what? I'll take this shit. You know, I want to hit this screen on you. I want to knock PJ Tucker like a flopping joker like you did on the floor there. You know, it's just like, look, Joey Buckets, I, I want to be knocked to the floor by by him as well, PJ. But come on, mate, you know, get up off your ass because please, Joe isn't that strong. I mean, his biceps are goddamn gorgeous, and those deltoids don't get me started. But in, in all honesty, Nick, the the way the consistency has been shown, and I think that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are getting everyone else open because their driving yeah. kick game, the way that that ball is moving, it's a it's a it's a thing of art. I put some some of the sets where you're Bruce Brown, you're driving on the short roll as well. The Bucks have got to stop playing drop coverage because it is absolutely... <laughs> I mean, it's eating them alive right now. And, and Joe is just getting open look after open look after open look. And to me, there, there is you know, an argument that can be made that I think the Celtics were better at guarding him on the perimeter. Um, and, that, and like you said, you know, Joe's movement and just desire to make to provide energy on both ends of the floor... You know, my favorite, one of my favorite sets from the night was, you know, Kai driving it and then just kicking it right out to Joe for for a three-point shot. You know, I think that in the past, you know, the Milwaukee Bucks have given away threes to certain players or whatever. I don't think you can give them away to Joe freaking Harris. And I also think the Nets just have too many, you know, good three-point shooters. And these teams that give away three-point shots, they're going to have to give it to somebody. And at the end of the day, when you're you're giving so much attention to KD and Kyrie, and like I mentioned before, with Giannis and Drew kind of overhelping in situations, Joe's kind of been the beneficiary in that situation. So continuing to move the ball, forcing that defense to really work, and continuing to make them make a lot of rotations, it's going to be tough to defend. And obviously the Nets are extremely talented, and they're in a great rhythm right now. And just to give you know Joe's stat line, 13 points, 5 of 12 from the field, 3 of 7 from 3, 1 rebound, 1 steal. Not the prettiest stat line, but I'm telling you his impact on the game was huge. Yeah, I mean, look, we we know the impact that Joe Harris has on this team. You know, all the players, you know, seem to do things beyond the box score. You know, yep. Kevin Rand looked like he barely missed a shot. And uh, before we do move on, I want to hop back to Katie because in my notes, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, I think it was towards the end of the third where he had that drive on Giannis. I was just mm-hmm. like, my dude, like, he's doing everything. Like, yep. he was obviously, he knows how to get his own. And like we sort of mentioned, in the drop coverage, it's just, you're going to get eaten alive by the Brooklyn Nets because Kyrie Irving... It's, it's insane that they're running it. It really, like, I mean, 
you know, we're not NBA coaches and we don't pretend to be, but it's simply something that we can see. I think a casual, a casual fan would even see and be like, why are they giving Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant open jump shots? Two of the best shooters off the dribble in the entire NBA. And like, how do you, you you're preparing for the series. This is not game one. This is game two. And the Nets have played this way all year. Yeah, it's it, it boggles the mind a little bit, but hey, Mike, keep doing it, mate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that, that Kevin Durant drive on Giannis, you know, I think that he doesn't get enough credit for his physicality and his desire to want to be physical because, you know, you always think of the purity of his offensive game, but there is a physicality uh, to it that it's just like on, on both ends of the floor and the offensive end because, you know, PJ Tucker, Drew Holiday, these guys, you know, they, they're bumping into him. They're, they're trying to you know, get him off his spot, but Katie's like, you know what? I've got a good enough, I've got a counter to every little bump you're giving me, to every little footstep that you're making. And Giannis, obviously, want, he's, he's a defensive player of the year. Yeah. And he just drives past him, goes right to the rack, and gets the the the, the, um, the layup. And it was just, and he's got Brook Lopez down there to deal with as well. One of the best room protectors we've seen over the past year or two. Uh, yep. Kevin Durant is, uh, he's, he, he's, he's, I'm, I'm befuddled. I'm, I'm lost for words, Nick. Yeah, I mean, and we got to see plenty of those, you know, threes in PJ Tucker's eye, rest of the Bucks' eye too. I mean, I just. Really, really enjoyed watching Kevin Durant perform in a Brooklyn Nets jersey. And the crossover was in the bag today, just moving guys side to side. But another guy who impressed tonight was Bruce Brown. And this is a guy that I think we had a little bit of a question mark going to the series. What type of impact he could have, given his lack of three-point shot? Would the Bucks take advantage of that? Bruce Brown is making his play on the court count. Offense, defense, rebounding, whatever it is. 13 points, 6 of 10 from the field, 1 of 2 from 3, 6 rebounds, 4 assists and setting heavy screens out there. He's setting a ton of screens, just as many as probably Rudy Gobert these days. Like, you know, and he's doing a really good job with that, just throwing those shoulders at P.J. Tucker. I mean, it's just like he absorbs them, and it's like he gets stronger every time. Like <laughs> He's the Hulk. <laughs> it, it makes his, his shoulders bigger every screen that he does make. My favorite highlight from Bruce Brown tonight, Nick, was he jumped over Giannis Antetokounmpo to get an offensive board. I'm like, wait, wait, what? Like, Giannis is like 6'10", and like has shoulders that make Bruce Brown look like me. I just was yeah. just absolutely marveled at, at that replay. But yeah, in all honesty, Nick, you know, I, I'm going to eat my own words here because I, I was in the camp where it's just like, is Bruce Brown too small? You know, 6'3", 6'4". But the way that the he sort of said as well, that if they're going to keep playing drop on me, I'm going to make good decisions out of the short roll. He's a good decision maker. He yeah. wants to physicality he wants to give guys openings because he just he loves making his teammates better you know he, he loves all the little things and you know he just fitted in seamlessly and I think a, enough probably isn't going to be said about the fact that you know you're asking a guy to change his role to come into a starting lineup and make an impact in a way that you know probably is is always a little bit tricky you know Spencer Dimity is probably the Brooklyn net that comes to mind that has probably had his role adjustment probably quite consistently yep. and in a massive game home court going up against a team that probably isn't necessarily the best matchup for you but you know he was making thing he was making life hell for whoever it was out there on the floor, whether it's Giannis, whether it's Chris Middleton, and, and some of those guys got their own every, at, at some point in time. But Bruce was still making life tough for them. They'll be having some bad dreams about BB. <laughs> I think, you know, he provides physicality. Blake Griffin provides physicality, and so does Joe Harris. And then, you know, Kyrie and KD do their thing. And just the added extra of Bruce Brown, I think, just provides some bit of a spark. Like you said, rebounding-wise, jumping over Giannis, just always playing physical, getting his hands on a lot of balls, you know. Credit to Bruce Brown. Really impressed with him. But uh, let's talk a little Nick Claxton. Another, I thought, impressive game for him. I didn't think he looked bad in this one. Only four points again. But it's hard to replicate young energy. 
and that's how Claxton plays. Like on the court, he's just so energetic and constantly trying to make things happen. And, you know, defensively, you know, I think Giannis might have got him once or twice in this game, but I thought he got him back once or twice. And again, his switching on to Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton has been elite. Yeah, and the offensive boards is something that has been a bit more consistent from him, yep. which I'm really liking because it was an area, you know, that I we've both sort of touched on being like, well, can Clack show that to, that that energy on on that end of the floor where he sort of makes up for sometimes the the lack of offensive skill set that he may have, you know, he's not you know <laughs> Jokic or or any of yeah. those sort of dudes, but you know, he was getting offensive boards that that led to points and, and putbacks. And, and and I think that's a, a real credit to him and the impact that he's having on the floor. And I was having a, a little bit of a back and forth with um, Greg Logan from Newsday. And he was sort of saying that, you know, he thinks Steve Nash deserves a lot of credit for not overexerting him and sort of being like, you know, this is our spark plug off the bench, you know, Rodion's Kurut style in, in 2017, 18, 2018, 19. And I, I think that that's a, a really good point. And while we may want more from Nicholas Claxton, you know, this might not be a, a, a and like sort of aligning his minutes with more Bobby Portis and such. I think that's a, a really smart move too. Uh, I think the the execution and energy that you're getting out of him, you know, he wants to be out there more, but every single minute he's out there on the floor, you know, he's giving his all. He's making the little plays here and there. And every single switch in isolation, you know, he is absolutely loving it. Yeah, and I think... Even if, you know, the plan is to play Blake more. He's a veteran. He's done more in the series. He provides a different level of physicality and size. But now I think you feel more comfortable if you get pushed into a situation and have to play Claxton more because he's shown the growth from Series 1 to Series 2. And even still, I think that there's still even more to be unlocked for him in terms of playing bigger minutes and what he can provide. Some of that is obviously dictated by James Harden not being here. I think offensively you can live with him on the floor a little bit more when James Harden is there. With Katie and Kyrie, it could possibly be harder because he somewhat clogs the paint because he doesn't have the same, you know, basketball IQ or understanding that Bruce Brown has with, you know, not having a jump shot. Yeah, and look, that's going to come because this is a yeah. guy who's played, what, 30, 40 games in his career. Yeah. You know, he's gonna he's only going to get better and you know postseason matchups this is where you know you're going up against the best of the best you're learning from the best of the best everyone is executing and every possession matters in, in a way that I think that the Nets certainly do understand and you know, I think that the physicality is something that we sort of talked about you know the, the, it's the style of play that the Milwaukee Bucks are going to bring but it's the the Brooklyn Nets are almost out physicaling them it's not obviously a word it's not a verb either um, but in a way they outmuscled them they outmuscled them in, in a big sort of way and obviously the, the stats might not reflect it you know the offensive boards or whatever but I think that you know the the Bucks not being able to get to the line as much as they probably should be you know the Nets don't have a rim protector unless Claxton is out there on the floor but the Nets are just being like you know what we'll keep you out of here take your baby little hook here you know and that's just sort of like collapsing in a way that you sort of mentioned earlier Nick they're just running around the floor and forcing them to take shots that I don't think the Bucks want to take. Yeah, and also forcing them to make passes they don't want to make or passes they're not comfortable making, and that's forcing them into some bad shots. And they just, there's a lot of situations where they just haven't looked comfortable. Like going up for a shot that you think they would make, they're in good position in the paint, and they're just missing. You know, some of that, you know, maybe is a little bad luck, but some of it's just them being kind of frazzled. That's what it felt like to me. You know, it just kind of reminded me of them in the Heat series to an extent of last year, not this previous one, that they're just like. It's like when you smack them in the mouth, like they don't really have a response for you. Like they're not really sure what to do. And some of that's probably their coach and not having the right adjustments. 
Yeah, look, and I think that they have a good enough, like, you know, we talked, we touted their big three against our big three. And, you know, I think some of it is like, you know, you've got to hit your shots and you've got yeah. to get into to places to get your good shots. And, you know, whether there's not enough sets out there on the floor, whether there's not enough, like, you know, an ability to be like, okay, Middleton, you screen for me and, and then, you know, I'll, get, I'll kick it out to you and if I'm Giannis. It just doesn't seem to me that there's an understanding and a, and a flow to their game right now. You know, credit yeah. to, to the Nets for getting them out of that energy and out of that synergy that they showed in spades in the Miami Heat matchup. But the, the Brooklyn Nets are a different kettle of fish and it's a, a complete opposite spectrum for the Brooklyn Nets in the way that they are just showing a level of chemistry and synergy that you don't necessarily expect from a team that has like you know guys on the buyout market, guys from overseas, guys that have barely played any games together. Yeah. There just seems to be something beyond basketball, beyond the X's and O's that this team just has an innate level of understanding. And that's the beauty of this sport. And that's the beauty of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah. And honestly, the beauty of a lot of sports, you know, there's just something that you can't necessarily put into words or put into a statistic. And it's just like, they have that energy. They have that momentum right now. It could change, but you feel really good about the way they're playing. And honestly, they have shot makers. Like, these guys just make shots. Like, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they make hard shots. They make easy shots, whatever it is. And even a guy like Mike James, you know, hits tough shots. Like, that can be a little bit, you know, demoralizing. You Mike James stand now, Nick? Are we going to change to OTG underscore Nick slash Mike James stand? MJ stand? Come on, mate. Let's do it. Mate, I need get away to get- with MJ stand, maybe. But no, I don't know about the Mike James thing. Do this uh, side-by-side photo of you and Mike James. I couldn't tell the difference. Both very handsome men. One's a little bit better of a bucket maker and it is definitely mike james i love what mj's doing for us these days nick <laughs> but uh so talking still shot makers i also want to give credit to joe harris because i think he's improved in that area to an extent too with just being a guy that can get you a bucket not all the time but in certain situations and there's even a stretch in this game where this i want to say the beginning second quarter we had three minutes of an all bench unit i think that's the first time we've seen that all postseason with no Kyrie, no kd no james Harden on the floor and Joe Harris was a guy that was able to get the buckets for the team. So credit to him. And I guess, you know, let's talk about MJ, Mike James, you know, I guess our new boy of the Brooklyn Buzz. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, Nick. Uh, 10, 10 points, 4 of 12 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3, 3 assists, 3 rebounds, 1 steal. I, I thought his uh, impact rebounding, there was one rebound where, like, Giannis was going for the ball, KD was going for the ball, and it was Brooke Lopez. And then, like, Mike James came out of the bunch with the basketball, and I was just like, what did I just witness right now? And obviously... He takes some bad shots. He hits some bad shots as well, but he provides that extra ball handler that just alleviates some of the pressure off Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and that's really important. And also, he's another penetrator on the floor. It's the perfect role. You know, we mentioned in game one, it's essentially like, you know, obviously the stat line might not be exactly the same, but the role is exactly the same. You know, alleviate the pressure, you know, fit into to the offense and you know, get that ball moving. You know, he, he might have missed a couple of shots, but I like the attack that he's showing. You know, it, it certainly collapses the defense and makes yep. things tough. You know, maybe he needs to kick it out a little bit more and, and find some passes and be a better passer you know, off the drive. But, you know, that's something that he can he can probably grow to learn and probably look at Kyrie Irving uh, as a, probably an example for how he's grown in that department too. So, look, Mike James is providing this team plenty in what James Harden, in James Harden's absence. And you can't necessarily ask more for a guy to sort of step in because the one thing the Milwaukee Bucks, you know, they would love to have a Mike James in their team yeah. right now. And, you know, Better I, than I playing Jeff the, yeah, there. Look, who would have thought we'd say that in, in 2021? You know, I, I think that Mike Bornhoser is going to you know, go to the grave with, with Jeff T. But I think that Steve Nash's understanding and, and that little move 
you know, it might not have changed the series in, in a massive way, but it certainly changed the tone and the trajectory and just, I guess, the the way that the, the lineups we sort of spoke about before how coaches can impact games plenty of times. Rotations and lineups. And Steve Nash has done that by inserting Mike James at the right times. Yeah, and honestly, Steve Nash has really been dictating the game to an extent where he's not switching to do whatever Milwaukee puts on the floor. He's running his guys out. Like, he ran four guards today in Kevin Durant. Like, that's a small lineup against one of the biggest teams in the NBA. So credit to Steve Nash for taking some of those strides in the postseason that we've talked about with other great coaches doing, you know, Eric Spolstra, um, Nick Nurse, guys along those lines. But I guess let's touch on Landry Shamit real quick. Thought this was a pretty promising game for him. Nine points, three of five from the field, three of five from three, three rebounds, two assists, one steal. When he knocks down his threes, you just have a different level of swag. And it's just also a different element to the Nets team because it's like, oh, yeah, we just dealt with Joe Harris off ball. Now we have to deal with Landry Shamit. And then we also saw some time with uh, Harris and Shamit sharing the floor. Yeah, I think that that's one thing that you know Landry Shamit at this point in time, we need his three ball to be falling for him to have an impact. And tonight it was. And I think that that changes. You know, we sort of talked about you know the the lack of three point shooting on on the Milwaukee Bucks. You know, they yeah. rely incredibly heavily on Bryn Forbes to sort of do their sort of thing. And you know, he had two or four from there. He was sort of their sort of spark. But if you can have Landry Shamit outplay you know Bryn Forbes in in an occasion and sort of like you know the the Spider Man meme pointing at each other, you yeah. know, who's going to hit the three ball? more who's going to make the right passes who's going to be less of a, of a liability on the defensive end and, and I think that was Landry Shamit tonight and you know yep. the limited time that he got on the court he made the most of it you know he wasn't shy and and, and you know he took a couple of deeper deep threes as well so yep. uh, confidence was there uh, execution was there uh, can't ask for much more yeah really good and just a positive sign for him to have him one of these games and I don't think we really need to talk about uh, the garbage minutes. You know, those guys Reggie went out there. Reggie Perry there! Come on! We need about 40 minutes on Reggie Perry! He's a we had a re- there was a Reggie chant at Barclays, so shout out to him for getting that. Uh, and those three balls look pretty good for him. Looked very, very nice, Nick. You know, he's going to be out there instead of Joe Harris in closing lineups, probably. <laughs> Okay. Um, I'm surprised to hear that from you, but uh, it was fun to watch Alizé Johnson in person as well. So shout out to him for the energy and the rebounding he provides. But overall, I mean, we could spend probably like three hours breaking down this game at the end of the day, which is the Nets were the better team in almost every single department. You know, I'm not sure the Bucks really did anything better than them tonight in any aspect of the game. No, and, and it's as simple as that. You know, the Nets continue to have the game on their terms and, and continue to make Milwaukee uncomfortable. It's it's not necessarily, and, and like you said, the Nets have a lot of shot makers and they're making their shots and the Milwaukee Bucks are not. And despite, you know, their defensive propensity and their defensive abilities, good offense always beats good defense. And, you know, you don't necessarily want to overthink things here. That, Like you said, Nick, the Nets have plenty of shot makers. You know, Blake Griffin's doing it as well. Or, or even saying that, not necessarily shot makers, but playmakers. Guys yeah. that can make plays, whether it's get a big offensive board, whether it's make a dunk, whether it's, you know, get get a big screen. They have guys that are contributing in, in a lot of ways. You know, all of the Nets rotation, you can say positive things about. And you certainly can't say that about the Milwaukee Bucks. Now, heading back home, will that change? I certainly think that's where we see the role players step up in a much bigger way. Can the Nets role players, can you see this out of Bruce Brown, you know, Joe Harris, Nicholas Claxton, and, and, and Mike James, you know, when you head to an away, away arena? Look, I, I certainly hope so. And this gives them a lot of confidence to be able to execute out there. 
Yeah, 100%. And obviously it helps as a second series. But going back to your point about the Bucks role players stepping up, it's not even that. Like, it's also their star players aren't playing well. Like, Chris Middleton has not been good in this series. You know, he was 7 of 23 of 8 from 3, finished with 17 points. But a lot of those points came when the game was already a 20-point deficit. And Drew Holiday, you know, 6 of 10, 13 points. And honestly, Giannis, 8 of 15, 18 points. Yeah, these guys didn't play their full minutes, but none of them really played incredible in this game. So, they're going to have to play better if they want to win games. And it's pretty much that simple. And I also think, you know, you, like you mentioned, Jack, Nets talent, you know, playmaking, scoring, shooting, whatever it is. This is really one of the greatest shooting teams ever assembled. Like if you look at all of the components of you have Kyrie Irving, you have Kevin Durant. Oh, yeah, we have Joe Harris. And then we have a whole bunch of other role players that can knock down threes and a Blake Griffin, a Landry Shaman and even a Mike James. So it's like there was a ton of talk. I felt like every single recap podcast or any mention of the game talked about shooting variation. Um, like that was what everyone was talking about. You know, Bucks were they six of 30 in game one? They're definitely going to shoot better in game two. The Nets, I believe, shot 37%. And in my head, I was thinking, yeah, the Bucks definitely can shoot better. But I thought it was kind of ridiculous that no one mentioned the Nets could shoot better because like 50%, yeah, it's not something they're going to do every night, but we sh saw them shoot well over 40% consistently in a lot of those games against Boston. And like you mentioned to start the show, Jack, 50, 40, 90 on the postseason, they're a really, really good shooting and scoring team. And that sometimes it's really that simple. The game is putting a, a basketball through a hoop. It's I'm, scoring. It's the main component of the game. Everything else matters, but not to the same extent of which scoring does. And the Nets are arguably the most gifted team when it comes to that. Yeah, the B in, in NBA stands for basketball. Yeah, my, <laughs> my mind is getting black. But to, to sort of to sort of <laughs> to sort of piggyback off sort of what you're saying, the offensive wizardry and mastery of this Brooklyn Nets team, Nick. We sort of said that before the after the, the Boston Celtics series, they had an 128 offensive rating, the best in playoff history. What do you think it is right now? It's still pretty goddamn close to that. Oh, I'm trying to think what they scored in what they score in game one, like 115? 107-115, yeah. Let's go with 124. Ah, you're way off, mate. 125.8. They've only dropped, you know, 2.2 in the offensive rating. Obviously, tonight probably makes a big difference to that, but yeah. it's truly insane. Truly, truly insane. They have a net rating of 15.4. Currently in the postseason, it is, it is ridiculous what they are doing. Um, and again, you know, championships aren't won in the second series, um, but the way you play certainly uh, it has an impact. And I think that we can certainly take a lot of confidence heading into Milwaukee where it's going to be even tougher. And I think that the guys are, are ready for that challenge. And I guess we'll sort of t touch on the, the, the guys on the sidelines, Nick. You know, when you heard the James Harden injury, you know, we were talking back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. What could it be? What could it be? We were getting tagged in different videos on YouTube. We were talking to different people here and there. And it's just like, man. And, and we talked about, you know, Jeff Stott saying that, you know, it's going to be likely, you know, two to three weeks, all these sort of things. And we got the MRI and it came back clean and it's just tightness. And Steve Nash is sort of saying that we could see him back this series. Jeff Green could be back in game three, as I sort of alluded to earlier. I guess, what are your thoughts on, on, the, on the guys on the sidelines for the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, I think this win gave those guys a cushion where, you know, if they lost this game, there might have been a more of a rush to get them back. Now, I think the Nets are kind of a little bit more like, all right, well, we'll kind of wait and see what happens. I thought it was really positive news on the James Harden front. Like, I definitely thought it was going to be, you know, a level two strain or something like that. And I was really concerned that we weren't going to see him the rest of the postseason. But the fact that Steve Nash was positive and yeah. he's been re relatively conservative, I think, with a lot of the injury stuff. 
that gave me hope. And I feel like there's a good chance we could see James Harden by as early as game five. Like I wouldn't rule that as a possibility. And Jeff Green, like you said, I think if the Nets lost, Jeff Green would be a lock to play in game three. Now it's kind of 50-50, and I think maybe it's a little bit more likely for game four. But again, there are two days in between. Yeah, I think that those those days off, you know, what is James Harden going to feel like when he wakes up? Yep. You know, same with Jeff Green, you know, after some practices, all, all these sort of little things here and there. A lot can change, and, you know, we're not going to set anything in stone, but the Nets got off to the perfect start. You know, everyone's sort of talking about, you want to bank those wins while these guys on the sidelines. Well, they're doing that exact thing. You can't do anything yep. more. And, you know, I, I think that James Harden is obviously so goddamn important to this team, as is Jeff Green. you got your most important player, and you got your most important role player. You know, we sort of talked about, you know, Jeff Green and his importance on the defensive end of the floor and the way that Nets have stepped up in that. He's going to fit in seamlessly there. James yep. Harden's obviously going to make this offense go to... I don't know how it can get to another level, Nick, yeah. but James Harden is one of the best offensive players we have seen in this millennia and in the history of the game. So it's, it can only get better. But in all honesty, you know, I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot better than I was 48 hours ago. So that that's certainly the case because, you know, we sort of spoke about, you know, and, and I think Steve Jones did a really good job on the dunker spot sort of saying yeah. how, how sucky it is for the human aspect for, for yeah. James Harden. And, you know, at that point, they didn't have the, the news that, you know, it wasn't a strain and it's just some tightness. Because now we might see James come back, and I'm not going to make a prediction or whatever. I just hope that you know he's fit and healthy. You know, whenever. Jack, do you think if the Nets go up three, like if they win one of the games in Milwaukee and they're up three-one, do you think that they elect to just not have Harden back, and they think they can win the series unless it gets pushed farther? Maybe, but I, I honestly think that James Harden is a hooper. We've, we've spoken yeah. about that. That's <laughs> one of his defining characteristics. If he is healthy to play basketball, he is going to play basketball. Yeah. You know, other than like LeBron James, there's few guys that want to be out there for any game, let alone a postseason playoff game that matters, that, that could change the trajectory of this franchise as well as his own narrative and his, and his own yeah. legacy. Yeah, I, I think that it's unlikely, um, but the Nets have game three and they're up 3-0. I think that the difficulty now for the Milwaukee Bucks is how many teams are won four or five? You know, I can't necessarily think it beat anything above like, you know, 10 or 20%. So Against a team that's talented. <laughs> Exactly. The impetus is all on them. Uh, but the Nets, like we sort of said, Nick, you know, need to put the foot on the throat and actually knock them out big time. Uh, and they've got a really big chance of doing that in game three, uh, despite the absences of, of two of their best players. Yeah, I agree, Jack. And I think, you know, there's and not just that the Nets have won these two games, but I think there's signs to pointing them to win the series. And I think some of it is, too, is like not to be you know, disrespectful to the Bucks. I think there's just some question about their mental toughness. And that's not something we typically touch on a lot in the podcast, but just given the events of which would happen to the Bucks over the last couple of seasons, it just feels like they start doubting themselves. And you can almost see it in their faces. And it's just like, I I'm not sure what to do here. And they, I think their coach kind of does the same thing. And then it just gets to a point where, you know, I think if the Nets win game three, I feel like it's probably a sweep. Like, it just feels that way. Um, I just think that the Nets just have that type of uh, dominance over them. Yeah, yep. exactly. It's just like they're just like you like we talked about putting their freaking foot on their throat and constantly doing it and they're not giving up. I think, you know, going to this game after the first quarter, Nets are up big. I'm like, oh, are they going to let the Bucks get back into this one? Nah, they didn't. They didn't even give them a chance to sniff back into this one. And every time they hit a big shot, it felt like somebody on the Nets match. It was either Kyrie, KD, Mike James, whoever it was hitting shots, keeping that lead at double digits and close to 20 the entire game. And next thing you know, you got that run. It was 30 plus games over. 
Yeah, it's weird because in the regular season, we were sort of wanting this from the Brooklyn Nets. You know, showcase your dominance. You know yep. you're this good. You know, get the 20 point, 30 point, 40 point blowout. But we're seeing it when the games matter. So I'm and not we gonna... even wanted against Boston in, in game five against Boston. They could have probably done it earlier and they didn't do it. But it's like, you know, we got the best competition, arguably the second best team in the league. Look, we're going to do it. And we're missing one of our star players. And we'll let you know who we are. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna strike from the record everything you said about sweep. Nick did not mention a sweep, ladies and gentlemen. There is going to be no Nick fake curse every game is a game within itself every I game didn't is... predict a sweep i just said if they win game three i think that it's a likely outcome i put nets and six i think that's something i feel okay about right now but part of me thinks it's just hard to beat this team two games in a row like i'd be surprised if the bucks won both yeah, look, it's I'd be surprised as well, but you know, crazy things have happened in the NBA. You know, this yep. season has been an absolute whirlwind, and it's been goddamn insane. That's why I think the word sweep right now should be like saying Voldemort for you know the Harry Potter world and Muggle world. You know, it's just let's just not say it just yet. Um, we can maybe mention. I after. definitely would be one of those people that said Voldemort. <laughs> yeah, clearly, mate, and uh, I'd be more. I'm much more cautious than that, as we probably have known listening to this podcast for 500 episodes or whatever it is, but. Yeah, Nick. There's. Uh, I think that the what everything is pointing towards continued Nets dominance. But yeah. the reason why I guess I remain on the skeptical side of things is because things change so rapid, so rapidly in this league. Forty three seconds into game one, we lost our most important player. Yeah. Now I'm not saying anything about injuries or whatever. I'm literally just saying it that the Milwaukee Bucks are a better team than this, and they haven't shown us their best. They haven't given us half of their best at this point in time. Yeah. Their best game- thing was probably first quarter of game one. After that, they haven't played close to their level. Exactly. So uh, there is plenty of room for them to improve, and if they give us their best shot, and we give us them, and we give them a continued best shot, then that's when I'm going to be like, okay, the Nets can continue to showcase their dominance because at home, I think it becomes a little bit easier for them. The the lights aren't necessarily as bright. You know, you've got the cheers, and hopefully, probably not as many people counting down Giannis's um, free throw routine, but. I think that where game three is going to be a goddamn slog, Nick, I expect it to be a lot closer. But if the Nets continue to do what they do, no one's beating them. Yeah, and I'm really intrigued to see what Milwaukee does in the three-point line. I think, you know, game one was more so on, you know, a combination of both. And this game was probably a combination of both. But it's like, are they going to have one of these big three-point shooting games? Because we know they're capable of doing that. So I think that's something I'll keep an eye on. But Jack, anything else you want to touch on before we get out of here? One final thing I wanted to touch on, Nick, was the the post game. We saw KD go over to to his mom Wanda, um, Kyrie Irving go over to the DA attorney um, nominee, uh, and, and and him sort of like into, have a chat to his family. I just love those moments. The the way yeah. that like the, there's a Nets family vibe going on. Well, yeah, yeah. you know, there's a billion celebrities. Travis Scott is losing his goddamn mind for Kyrie Irving layup. I'd be doing the same thing, you know, um, to Travis as well. But yeah, I, I just love those those little things, those family moments. It just makes me feel more connected to this team, and, and it yep. shows that they're connected too. You know, you know how important family is to both of those guys, and you know, Kyrie Irving with his dad, his sister, um, and just to, again, you know, hugging and, and kisses on the cheek. Um, it's good to see that, you know, with Barclays Rock, and it's good to see our, our guys out there loving it. Good to see you there as well, Nick. And um, I don't know. I need to learn, you know, instant transmission like I'm Goku so I can get <laughs> three, four, five, or whatever else game it might be. Yeah, I mean, I think you should just get a boat, start sailing over here, and then maybe you'll be here by the finals. <laughs> but, but uh, Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.